you would uh, stand and join me for the reading of God's word, we are reading this morning from Psalms 1. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you please to join with me in prayer. Father, again, we uh, pause to remember that uh, what we are in the middle of is not simply a natural thing, but a supernatural event. That is, that you are meeting with us, that you are uh, speaking to us, and your spirit in our heart is speaking back to you, praises and confession. And, and so, Lord, even now, um, we, want, uh, we want to be present for this moment in our hearts. We want to hear what you have to say to us, because we want to be shaped by you. And so that's what we pray for now, that as we are, are together pondering this passage, that you would shape us and make us more like your son. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I find advertising interesting. Um, not the ads themselves, because sometimes they can be really repetitive, but what they tell us. Because, you know, advertisers are not dumb, right? These are oftentimes well-paid, well-thought-out individuals who, who know how to tap into human desires. And so we pay attention to ads and see what they're doing. It actually says something, I think, about who we are. And, and this is probably not any groundbreaking uh, awareness, but it seems to me as I've been paying attention to ads that what you oftentimes see with whether it's like magazine ads or TV is basically saying, if you get this, you will have a good life, right? I mean, now it never says it that explicitly. It's more that it shows you this. So it won't say buy an Audi and your life will be awesome, but instead what you see is you see this man in this expensively tailored suit and a white crisp shirt, no tie, because he's not that uptight, you know, with, with expensive black sunglasses, driving this empty road on the Audi, and eventually he pulls up down his long driveway, past, of course, a beautifully manicured lawn to his stately house and his supermodel wife and his two wonderfully man mannered children who have been apparently waiting there since morning for his return. And then you see Audi, $3.99 a month, and you realize that is how I get a life like that. I buy the Audi. Welcome to the good life. I mean, that's, that's what our commercials do, right? I mean, sometimes it's, it even goes so far as to try to say, this is what will happen if you go with this product, and this is what will happen if you don't. Um, if you watch football, maybe you'll remember that there were, during the football season, these direct TV commercials. 
um, where you have like a normal version and a weird version of the same person. So there's one that said, you know, I'm Tony Robo, QB of the Cowboys at the time he was, he's no longer. And then on the other hand, you have, I'm arts and craftsy Tony Romo. And you've got like this bald guy with a long beard and glasses. And, and the, the two, you know, first, I'm the one who owns DirecTV and arts and craftsy Tomo, uh, Tony Romo is the one who has cable. And I'm not sure exactly how cable turned him into that, but we're supposed to see a connection. And at the very end, it's obvious. Go with DirecTV because that's the good life. That's the real Tony Romo, not that weird arts and craftsy version. It's, it's an invitation to a life that is good, right? And that's what we want. I mean, if we're just really honest, if we wanted to say, what is what I desire? I want to live my life well. And that's not a new desire. I mean, that's as old as, as humanity. And it's a desire that we actually see really directly addressed here. As, as we begin our series in the Psalms, Psalm 1 is kind of like the gateway to the Psalms. And how does it begin? Blessed is the man. Now, that word blessed sounds super spiritual to us because we never use it in normal language, but it really isn't. That word could be translated happy, and it's really just talking about what we've been speaking of, the good life. It's like, here is the way to the good life. That's, that's kind of a paraphrase of that sentence. And what it tells us here in this passage is there really are ultimately two ways to live, two paths for us to choose. There is the way to the good life, and there is the way away from the life that is good. And just like some of these commercials, it gives us two different images. There is the way of the good life, which is the way of the tree. That's the QB Tony Romo version. The, the way of the tree, and then there is the way of chaff. There's the way of the tree. I, some of you maybe, like me, grew up uh, with trees in your backyard. I had two great climbing trees. One of them was nice and tall. You could get probably about three stories high, which my mom, I'm sure, loved. And the other one wasn't quite so high, but it was broad. And so you could like swing on the branches or just kind of hang out under the leaves in the shade of the summer. Uh, I wonder if any of you similarly have trees that you kind of formed a connection with as a kid. Trees are remarkable things, right? I mean, like they're slow, and, and yet over time they, they, they develop this strength and this stateliness and this stability. They, they have the ability, of course, to climb, but they also have just life, these leaves that provide shade, this, this fruit. There is an endurance about trees. Now, in Israel, especially in this time, trees, as precious as they are to us, were even more precious to them because this was an arid land. A lot of it was desert, and so trees were much less common and much more needed for the, for the shade that they bring and the fruit that they bring for sustenance. And so, so trees at that time were a symbol of not only endurance and beauty, but also of life itself. And here our psalm says, if you choose the right way, you can be a tree. Which I realize doesn't sound terribly exciting to us until we think about what it stands for, that you can have a stability, an endurance, a strength, a vitality, a, a fruitfulness. And not just one in good times. You can be a tree that is planted 
by a stream, which means your roots go down to nourishment so that even in times of great difficulty, in times of great heat, in times of great drought, your leaf can still be green. You can still have a life that is truly filled with life. You can still be productive and offer fruit to the world around you. This is one image for you to have in your mind. You can be a tree. Or you can be chaff. A few years ago, for just a brief period of time, I um, tried um, roasting my own coffee beans, you know, taking the green coffee beans, and, and you could heat them up, and it was an interesting experience. You wanted to keep heating them until you heard a crackle where they, kind of the green husk was just kind of burst out of, and then you would get them to their proper darkness and you'd stop. And then after that, you would take the coffee beans and put it into a colander and just barely blow, and that, that green husk has just become like this dry, lifeless skin. I mean, it's so thin you could actually look through it, but just a, a slight breath, and it would just kind of blow off, and you'd, all the chaff would be removed. And, and this passage is saying the other way, the, the second way of choosing, that's what you can become. Something that is insubstantial, lifeless, able to be blown by the lightest of wind and be no more. There is the way to the life that is good, the way of becoming a tree planted by water, and there is the way of chaff, of insignificance, of lifelessness. That's, that's the choice that is posed before us as the Psalms begin. And what I found, I think, especially surprising as I was considering this passage this week is the choice that is before us is not primarily one of doing the right thing or wrong thing, although that's in the background. The choice that is before us is regarding what will shape you the most. So perhaps you noticed where it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked, that's being shaped, being influenced by one group of people. On the other hand, the, the, the other option is his delight is in the law of the Lord, that is being shaped by God's instruction. The choice is between two different influences. I wonder how often do you think about what is shaping you? I suspect many of us don't because we, I think especially in America, tend to think of ourselves as highly individualistic, that, that we're independent in our thinking, in our actions, and our desires, but that's just not really who we are, is it? I mean, we know that about our kids. If you're a parent, my guess is you're fairly attentive to the, the friends that your kids have. You know how important it is for your kids to have good friends because we all know that tragic stories often begins with he, he was in the wrong crowd because people are deeply influenced by others. We're just silly to think that that stops at adolescence. That's, that's who we are too. Let me ask you some just random, seemingly random questions. How much is an appropriate amount to pay for a pair of shoes? 60, 160, 260? How late is a good time for your kids to go to bed? 7 p.m., 9 p.m., 11 p.m.? How often should you wash your car? 
There's not really a right or wrong answer to these. I mean, there's principles that we can use, but what is it that we find ourselves often doing with kind of random questions like that? We ask ourselves, what would a normal person do? Right? I mean, that's at least what I'm going to like. What do, and we look around and see what the normal thing to do is. We are shaped by the world around us as we try to make these decisions. Or think about the shifts in culture, the changes in opinions of, of sexuality or of the place of religion or, or even the way that we view politics. Do we think that all of those shifts are because each person independently on their own in their own perfect cubicle just changed their mind? Now, of course, that's not how it is. We, we have been shaped by the cultural changes and people are shaped as, as part of that process. None of us are nearly as independent as we think we are. As long as we're alive, we are growing. And as long as we are growing, we are being shaped. And so the fundamental question is not whether or not we're going to be influenced by anything, because that is just absolutely going to happen. The fundamental question is what we're going to choose to be shaped by. And that's the decision that's put before us. The choice between being a tree and being chaff is the choice of what we are shaped by. And so that's what we see here in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who is not shaped by the counsel of the wicked. And at first we might go, okay, I'm good with that. I mean, I'm not going to go to Hitler and look for some advice, and so I'm not planning on being shaped by the counsel of the wicked until we realize that wicked is a much less stark black and white word than we think. It's not just about the conniving, evil, hateful people. Wickedness in the Bible is a much broader concept. One, one Hebrew dictionary I looked at described wickedness in the Bible as just simply being practical atheism. That is, the mindset that forgets about God. The mindset where God is not the priority, where God is not dependent upon, where life is simpler if God is removed from the picture. That's what wickedness is. It is a world that has forgotten God. And so when we're talking about blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, we're talking about something that is all around us. If we ask, where is the counsel of the wicked? It's everywhere. It's in the ads that I mentioned before that says your life will be better if you get an iPhone or if you get a new car or if you have this great vacation. Your life will be defined by that. That's the counsel of the wicked. We find the counsel of the wicked in the news that we consume. I came across this quote that I was struck by. A person said, I'm realizing that the primary source of spiritual formation for many is not prayer or scripture or Jesus, it's Fox News. I thought that was an interesting point and troubling. And, and mind you, I don't think, it, you know, he could have said CNN, he could have said Washington Post, he could have said Breitbart. It doesn't matter what it is. There are Christians in all of these news sources, and these news sources can be really helpful, but, but they are not coming from a place where God is at the center. And as they shape us and as they counsel us, this is the counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked can be found in the stories that we consume, the stories that again and again say that life is defined by how much we depend upon ourselves and strive to follow our own goals and our own heart. That is the counsel of the wicked. God is forgotten in the rearview mirror. 
The counsel of the wicked is found when our neighbors are talking to us and they're complaining about their spouse or speaking of all their ambitions for their children or of the excitement they have of the next vacations that they're taking. Each of these things can shape us. It's the counsel of the wicked. And the writer of the psalm says we have to be really careful about this because you need to know that the counsel of the wicked leads to a dead end. It leads to chaff. I mean, it sounds right at first, and it's appealing, and oftentimes it's enticing. But when those who walk in the counsel of wicked experience a time of testing, it's shown to be unsubstantial. I mean, people sometimes might find themselves in a time of suffering going, wait a second, what am I doing? How is this working for me? Or maybe it's not until the final time of testing before someone stands face to face before God, as we all will one day. I mean, we're told that the wicked will not stand in judgment. Judgment is a time where truth is exposed. And the way of the wicked that seems so appealing is shown to be empty and lifeless. I like what John Calvin writes about this. He says that when the wicked are summoned before God to give an account of their lives, their sleep is broken, and they perceive that they were merely dreaming when they imagined themselves to be happy without looking inward to the true state of their hearts. They were dreaming when they imagined themselves to be happy without looking inward to the true state of their hearts. Now, it's important to say here that when it's saying don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, this is not a call for a retreat, a removal from the world. It's not saying only let yourself be influenced by purely Christian thinking, because if that were the case, we couldn't even be influenced by our own thoughts, right? Because we have our own form of practical atheism within us. And it's not saying to just kind of flee the world. Jesus himself prays for his people that they would be in the world. Now, what this psalm is warning us is saying, pay attention to how you are formed. You are being shaped every moment of your life. Don't let yourself be shaped by a world that has forgotten God, because it's the way of chaff. Notice the progression that we see in this verse of this formation. It begins with walking in the counsel of the wicked. The idea of someone who's, who's living and is starting to hear words. We can imagine maybe someone who's just graduated from college and he's left college desiring to glorify God in his work, but the moment he starts work, he feels this pressure to define himself by being successful, and it's slowly eroding at his previous way. It moves to those who stand in the way of sinners. They're no longer just being influenced. They have now moved and taken their stance in this former way. So again, you can imagine this person who now has been so shaped that he is starting to cut corners. He's starting to be willing to sacrifice other things to get the success that he's now believing is what his identity is all about. And then it concludes with sitting in the seat of mockers. Now this person has so moved that when he looks at the people coming out of college who want to glorify God with their work and aren't willing to do the things that need to be successful, he looks down on them. They're naive. They don't understand. Do you see the progression of being shaped to more and more you are the very thing you're influenced by? 
the psalm is saying, blessed is the one who doesn't go that way. That is the way of chaff. We need to be attentive to how we are being formed. Now, part of that means that we need to be, at times, removing ourselves from things. I think it is wise sometimes when Christians say, you know what, that TV show is just starting to change the way I was seeing things, or I don't want to see that movie because it's going to put, get in my head in an unhelpful way. I think especially in our day, the thing we need to be aware of is just because social media is so much a part of our life, of how much of an effect it can have, whether it's the constant being affirmed by the Instagram likes of pictures of ourselves, or, or whether it's the fact that we're seeing all of this news on, on Facebook. For me, sometimes I feel like with Twitter, I need to just stop for a while because it makes the world seem like one nonstop crisis and argument. There are times that so that we can be formed rightly, we need to remove ourselves from things that are starting to form us wrongly. But I want to say that this psalm tells us that the primary way for us not to be walking in the counsel of the wicked, the primary way for us not to be formed by its counsel, is not defensive by removing, it is offensive by letting ourselves be shaped by God himself. Verse 2, but, it says, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is the way of the tree. Now, sometimes when we hear this verse, we get stuck on that word law, and we assume that it's talking just about commandments. But the word law here actually isn't just about rules. It can just as easily be translated instruction. Really, the important word in this verse is not instruction. It's the Lord. It is on the instruction of the Lord that he is delighting. It's the instruction of the Lord that he meditates day and night. In other words, the key to being this, living this life that is good, to being the tree, is to have your life thoroughly and deeply being shaped by God. You know, in the Old Testament, there is this time where God's people finally meet with God at Mount Sinai. And God basically says, here's what you need to do to be my people. You need to hear my voice and keep my covenant. To hear my voice. He's not just saying your ears need to be doing okay, because everyone at that moment can hear him. He's saying you need to hear in such a way that you are welcoming my word inside of you and you are allowing it to shape you and to form you. In Romans, Paul says that faith in the gospel comes by us hearing. And again, that idea is, is opening ourselves so that the word of God is forming us and developing a faith inside of us. And that's what he's talking about here in this song. He delights in the Lord's instruction. That means he welcomes it. He feasts on it. He wants to be changed by it. He meditates on the instruction of the Lord. It's the idea of effort. He is proactively seeking to understand it. He's not just hoping that it changes him. He's working at it. And it happens day and night throughout his life. Every moment he is seeking to be shaped by God. That, we're told, that is the way to be a tree whose roots go down to water. And that makes sense when we think about it. Because what it is saying is that our roots, the very core of who we are, descend into God himself in such a way that the source of life and the source of joy and 
the source of beauty himself in Christ Jesus is what is nurturing us. So that even when we're facing suffering, and we face suffering, even when we're facing confusion, our souls are being nourished on God and we stand. Now Jesus in the New Testament says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. He's saying the same thing. That as our soul is nourished by Christ, as we are allowing ourselves in every aspect of who we are to be formed by God, then we are fruitful, then we are alive. You know, I hope we're not hearing this as just a bunch of things to do. There is a place for us in this of, of how we want to shape our lives. But do you hear the grace of God in this? God wants you to experience joy. He wants you to grow like a tree and be secure and be strong and be filled with life. And he is offering himself to you. He wants to nourish and shape you. It is his grace that we are invited to receive when it's speaking of us being shaped by the instruction of the Lord. The question that we need to ask ourselves as we as we look at this, you are going to be shaped by something. How can we live in such a way that we are fundamentally day and night shaped by God? How can we organize our lives so that we are being formed by Christ Jesus? And I use that language very intentionally, the idea of how can we organize our lives, because when we're talking about being shaped it's not just a matter of a decision at one moment. I mean, that's one of the problems sometimes of evangelicalism. It's all about making that decision for Christ, and that's the only thing. And yes, there's an important decision moment, but then there is the life that goes beyond that, the life of practices, because when we're talking about being formed, it's not a decision that forms us. It's our habits. I mean, our habits in some ways are the sum of who we are, isn't it? There is... One guy, William James, said, all of our life, so far as it has definite form, is but a mass of habits. And so the question that we should ask ourselves, if we want to know the way of the tree, if we want to be shaped by God, what are the habits that we can choose to have to allow ourselves to regularly be shaped by Christ Jesus? And just as I close, I'd like to suggest three Three habits that I think every Christian needs to have as we are seeking to be those who are shaped not by a world that has forgotten God, but by, to be shaped by Christ himself. First habit is the habit of worship. The habit that we are participating in right now, every week when we're gathering. When we are doing it, this is not just for an ex a momentary experience. I want you to realize that there is formation that happens through our habit of gathering together. Every time we are singing praise to God, we are, we are being formed, reminding ourselves that God is God and we are not. Every time we're confessing, we're humbling ourselves. Every time we're giving in the offering, remembering that God is not our money, but God is God. We are being formed as we gather together every week, and we need that habit of worship to allow God to shape us. Secondly, there's the habit of Christian community. If it is true, and I'm confident that it is, that we are shaped by the people around us, then that means we 
desperately need each other. And not just each other on a Sunday morning where we say, hello, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great. Or whatever conversation we have. But to actually be involved in each other's lives where we know the other person and they know us and we're able to pursue growing as a Christian together because as we see others and the way they're seeing God and the way that they're repenting, that shapes us as well. In our church, you know, we have these two habits, the habit of community groups that meets every other week and the habit of discipleship groups that meet every other week. And those habits are specifically for this so that we can forge relationships that go beyond Sunday morning. Because I don't know any other way of forming deep relationships than doing something habitually. It doesn't happen accidentally. You need the habit of Christian community. And we need the habit of prayer and meditation on Scripture. You know, that used to be that, you know, every Christian would say you have to have your 45-minute quiet time, and people have moved away from that a little bit because you realize there can be a legalism about making it look a specific way. But I want to say the instinct behind that is absolutely right. We are constantly, constantly being counseled by the world. Every, every time we turn on the radio, every time we watch something, every time we turn on the internet and are reading something from the internet, we are being counseled. And the only way that we won't be shaped by that is if we are being counseled even more deeply by God himself. And that means you and I need, just as this psalm says, to be meditating on God's word. Now that can look a lot of different ways. That can look having a quiet time in the morning where you're just reading God's word and thinking about it. It can look like having just a verse that you are trying to think about throughout the day and thinking about how it means something for you. It can look like listening to a podcast of a sermon, reading a good Christian book, listening just to the Bible as an MP3. It doesn't really matter how, it matters that we are meditating on God's word. And we need to pray. Whether it's setting aside a time to pray at one time of the day, or maybe knowing moments to pause throughout the day, maybe when you're driving. Or, or maybe when you just have this moment to just take a breath and notice that you're stressed and ask God for help and thank him for what he's already been doing. We need that practice because we need to be shaped by God. Because this is the way, the way of, of the good life, the way of of being the tree, the way of drinking deep of the grace of God and being shaped by Christ Jesus. As is our tradition, we now have the time to confess. And let me tell you, one of the great things about the gospel is confession is never an only despondent thing. It is a hopeful thing. Because as we're confessing, not only are we knowing that we're coming to a God who forgives us, but we know also that we're coming to a God who heals us. And so the act of confession is an act of movement towards where we want to be. And so let me invite you now to take a time and to think about ways that we are being shaped by the world and to confess that and to open ourselves up to God so that he might shape us in the way that is good. We'll spend some time in silence and then I'll lead us in prayer after that. Let us confess our sins together.
Father, together we come before you this morning, not in strength on our own, but in weakness. As Lord, we know so often we seek to be independent, and that is the way of failure. Lord, your word invites us to something that is beautiful, and when we see it clearly, that is what we want. And Father, we thank you that even as we come to you acknowledging our failure, we know that we're forgiven. And even more than that, we know that your spirit is on our side and is working in us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would form us. Even now, we ask that the spirit of your son would be at work in our hearts, shaping us in a way that gives us stability and strength that can come from you alone. And Father, even now as we turn to the table, as we eat and as we drink, we know that this is yet another sign of your grace inviting us to be formed by you. And so we ask that we would nourish our souls on Christ Jesus even now as we turn to the table. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's hear the good news of the gospel from Jeremiah. This is the covenant, God says, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Christ, by his blood, has established the new covenant. By his spirit, the law is written on our hearts, and our sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God.